verse 11 down through verse number 14. The Bible says there, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Demetrius hath good report of all men. And of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee, greet the friends by name. And so uh, we've looked at Gaius. We've looked at Diotrephes, and tonight we'll look at Demetrius. Demetrius was a pleasant Christian, and so we're going to talk about that this evening. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand um, what you have laid out in your word, and Lord, help us to leave here challenged to try to follow the model uh, that, by which Demetrius lived his life. Lord, I know everyone in here wants to live a life that pleases you and glorifies you, and Lord, help us to work hard to get ourselves out of the way, be led by the Spirit. And Lord, have a church here that is godly. Uh, have a church full of people who are godly. Help us to have a church full of people like Demetrius. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I just have to tell you, I love people. Love people. Most of the time. Um... People are fascinating. You ever just go back into a parking spot at Walmart or Target and just watch people go in and out of the store? You see people do some pretty funny things. You know, people have some really interesting quirks. Uh, you see people pick their nose, and I'll, I'll stop with that. But uh, you, you see people do some uh, things, and, and you get a really good laugh. Maybe go sit on a bench in the mall if there's any of those left. I think they've taped off or removed most of the benches in the mall, but... You, uh, you can really um, uh, have a good time just observing people. But not just people's quirks. You also have a good time watching how fascinating some people, the things that people come up with and they're able to accomplish and do. You know, people come in all different shapes and sizes. They come in different colors and from different cultures. Uh, people come with different personalities and experiences and backgrounds have you ever met uh, someone or seen a picture of someone who could be your identical twin? You ever, you ever met someone or seen someone? Maybe you didn't think so, but everyone else said, oh, this is your identical twin. This is your identical twin. Um, they say that everyone has somebody on the planet that looks exactly like them. I think they have a term for that. Doppel, doppelganger, is that how it's pronounced? It, it, I looked it up in the dictionary and... Couldn't figure out how to pronounce it, but I believe that's it. Doppelganger. Everyone has someone who's supposed to be uh, their identical twin. Uh, even if you were to find that person who looked just like you, brushed their hair like you, you know, uh, it would probably end about there. Because beyond that point, no two people are exactly the same. Uh, I've got brothers who are twins, and trust me, they are nothing like each other. Um, I've met identical twins, and while they may share more in common than most, even they have different lives and have different experiences as they go about and do different things. People never cease to amaze me. 
I, I see both the really, really, really good that people accomplish, the wow factor, the amazing. Uh, have you ever gone into a place like New York City and just stood below something, uh, below one of the skyscrapers and looked up and thought, how in the world did someone build this? I, I've, I've driven across the bridge going to the airport, and you look over to the right, and there's the, there's the skyline, right? What bridge is that? Is that the Whitestone, Whitestone Bridge? Is that what they call that? You go over that bridge, and you look over, and I see those lights flashing at night on the top of the skyscraper, and I think someone's got to go up there and change those things. Boy, I would not want that job. But people are able to accomplish things that just leave your jaw hitting the floor when you realize what they can do. But it isn't just the good that leaves me speechless. Sometimes the bad that people do leaves me speechless. I love looking at books like Ripley's Believe It or Not and, and seeing uh, people who set world records doing things that I would never even think of. Um, I saw a guy uh, one time uh, who had the world record for most weight carried by an earlobe. He, he, had, he had weights connected to his earlobes, and he held the most weight up for, I don't know, 30 seconds a minute. They had a show on TV for a while back in the early 2000s or late 90s entitled Ripley's Believe It or Not. And not all of it was appropriate, but there was things on there that a Christian could watch and it just amazed me the things that people are able to accomplish. Another world record, I believe there's a video of this on YouTube, someone walks the furthest walking on Legos barefooted. You ever stepped on a Lego in the middle of the night, mom or dad? Ouch, right? Uh, not fun, not fun. And I can't imagine walking on a sea of Legos, um, uh, wild things that people do. While I find it easy to love people in general, some people are a bit more challenging to love. What happens when you take people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, different cultures? I don't know how many countries are represented in this church, but there are a lot of countries represented in this church from several um, continents. I don't know that we have anyone from Australia, but I believe uh, every other continent in our church is represented, not Antarctica. I don't think Antarctica is represented. I don't, we don't have any penguins that are members, but um, different, um, different um, uh, continents and different cult, cult, cultures and different backgrounds. And uh, you take all of these people and then different personalities and you put them into one building and you call them a church. And you know what you have, you have a recipe for utter disaster. <laughs> you have a recipe for a whole bunch of headbutting. You have a recipe for a whole bunch of people who, who, who can't figure out how to get along, except for the fact that we have the Lord Jesus Christ who saved us and the Holy Spirit of God who guides us and directs us. More about that in a minute. In the book of Third John, the book was written to a church member named Gaius. And the book describes three different church members and how they affect the body of Christ. We see Gaius. Gaius was the prosperous Christian. Look back at verse 2 of Third John. Verse 2, the Bible says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. We see that he, his soul prospered. He was a man who was hospitable to others. He was a man who supported the preacher. He was a man who uh, cared about the flock of God. He was a man 
who grew in the Lord. And then our attention is turned from a prosperous Christian to a proud Christian in Diotrephes. Look at verse number 9. We looked at this last week. I write unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Diotrephes was lifted up in pride. He wanted all the eyeballs on him, and he was an entitled man who uh, would burn down the forest in order to save his own tree and uh, uh, was very good at excluding people and pushing people out. And then tonight we see our third Christian mentioned in the book. His name is Demetrius, or the pleasant Christian. Look at verse number 12 with me. The Bible says, Demetrius hath good report, good report of all men, and of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is truth. When I was 25 years old, I was hired to be an assistant pastor at Granite Baptist Church in suburbia Baltimore. Over the next seven years, I would serve under three different pastors in three different churches. And um, two of those pastors were of the mold of Gaius and Demetrius. And one of those pastors was of the mold of Diotrephes. It was as though God was saying to me, He was saying, let me show you how a pastor is supposed to behave. Now let me show you how not to do it. And then one more time before I send you out to pastor, let me show you how you're supposed to do it. So here's how you're supposed to do it. Here's how you're not supposed to do it. And here's how you're supposed to do it. Now, go out and pastor. I'm not going to pretend that I've gotten every decision right, and I've, made, I've done everything perfect in the four and a half years I've been the pastor, but I will say that I've tried my very best to be loving and caring and kind, and I've tried to be more of a Gaius and Demetrius than any sort of a Diotrephes. Now, this is exactly what God is doing for you, the church member in the book of Third John. He points to Gaius and he says, do it like Gaius, now don't do it like Diotrephes, Okay, let's finish out the book, do it like Demetrius. Do it, uh, do it in a way that pleases the Lord. Be a man or woman of integrity. What does it take for a church to function? It takes the brain of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the church is a body. We are, 1 Corinthians tells us that the church is a body. We are a functioning body. I believe that's chapter number uh, 12 in 1 Corinthians. Well, a body needs a brain if it's really going to function accordingly. Now, watch this. Watch this. Your body has many different systems. And you know, those systems care more about their own system than they do any other system of the body. The nervous system cares little to nothing about the circulatory system. And the circulatory system carries not, uh, not, a little to nothing about the excretory system. And the excretory system cares little to nothing about the reproductive system. And the reproductive system cares little uh, to nothing about the respiratory system. Now, while all these systems are only concerned about their own function, they all rely on each other in order to properly function, in order to fully function. It is the brain. It is the brain that coordinates the body's systems in order for the body to function properly. If it wasn't for the brain, the systems would just simply attack each other. And that person would be labeled sick and dysfunctional. 
I've seen a lot of churches that are sick and dysfunctional. I've seen a lot of churches where people attack each other. When I was a teenager, I sat in a church that was having major, major problems with their current pastor and had been really hurt by their previous pastor. And uh, the church was divided into two camps over the pastor. Some people were really for the pastor. Other people were really against the pastor. And they had a business meeting. And I'm a 14, 15-year-old boy. And I watched two deacons just about getting a fist fight in the middle of the deacons meeting. There was yelling and screaming going back and forth. And uh, one man had to be subdued and asked to leave the service. And uh, that is a church that's attacking each other. That's a church that's not led by the Spirit of God. And we must have God's Spirit in order to take us and lead us and help us to function. Likewise, within a church, it takes everyone bringing their own spiritual gifts, each one of you in here, that saved, God has given you a spiritual gift. And you must contribute that if this church is going to function. It takes you bringing your own perspectives, your own experiences, even your own personality. You know what I had to tell you about church? Churches attract people with all sorts of personalities. <laughs> I've never been in a church that didn't have someone that made me feel a little uncomfortable from time to time. You know, you're like, oh man, brother such and such or sister such and such. You know, I'm going to get in a conversation with them and oh, it's going to be, it's going to be challenging. What am I going to do? And you, you squirm and you, you look to deke and duck and avoid. Hey, don't act that way. Don't act that way. Hey, listen, embrace everybody. Embrace everyone. Hey, did you know that everyone is weird in some way or another? All of us. Every single one of us. And you think, well, he's weird or she's weird. Can I tell you that someone probably thinks that about you? Somebody somewhere probably thinks that about you. I know people think that about me. And that's okay. That's okay. Uh, but let's embrace each other. Let's accept each other. It takes all of us working together, led by the Spirit of God, in order to have a church that fills its duty and uh, uh, reaches its potential and goal for the Lord. Now, we've devoted two sermons to the first two characters of the book. Tonight, we turn our attention to Demetrius. And when we went through Second John, we saw the importance of balancing truth and love. In fact, the very beginning of Second John talks about balancing truth and love, truth and love. And tonight, as we look at Demetrius we'll see that he did just that. What happens when you have a Christian that finds that balance between being uh, 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 wholeheartedly sold out on truth, but yet being kind and caring and loving about it? What happens when you find someone that balances those two? Well, you find a very likable person. You find a person that's very pleasant to be around because they're, they're, uh, they're, 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 they're loyal to the Bible and they're loyal to doing right. But boy, they're just not a jerk about it. Demetrius was that guy. He had these balance. Not only was he loyal to the right positions, that's truth. He was also careful to maintain a proper disposition, and that's love. How can you and I be an encouragement to the church? How can we be pleasant to be around? By learning to follow the example of Demetrius by passionately pursuing truth with our lives, while genuinely loving everyone God puts in our path. Let's look at Demetrius and see three observations that made him a pleasant Christian. Number one, number one, notice his focus. 
his focus. Look down at verse number 11. 3 John and verse number 11. The Bible says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but follow, or but, but rather, let me, let me read the verse again. But beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. I needed a mulligan. Follow, but, but that which is good. Whether or not we want to admit it, all of us are being led by something or someone. Tonight here you say, I'm a maverick. I call my own shots. Nobody tells me what to do. We're all following something. We're all following someone. I was listening to a, um, actually I was watching a documentary, a political documentary a few weeks ago. And it was not put out by conservative people. I believe the folks that put it out were just seeking to be objective. And they had uh, folks being interviewed in this documentary that were both, um, uh, would label themselves Republicans and Democrats. And as I watched the documentary, uh, the curtain was pulled back on some things that I had just honestly not known and been blinded to. And I had this thought. I thought, boy, I've never seen it that way before. And then I had this thought. I wonder what else I've gotten wrong. I wonder what else I, I don't know. And then, you know, this, this, this um, profound feeling sweeps over you of, I'm nothing more than just a sheep being led, being led by people who are feeding me information. Now, I pick and choose where I get my information. But I'm nothing more than just a lamb that's being led by people at large. I would love to be able to take a pie chart and be able to see who the sources are behind what influences me. Wouldn't you like to be able to see that? We turn on the TV and we watch the news or we open up an article and we read uh, the article. Did you know that behind every news source there's someone giving orders about what to cover and not to cover and how to cover it? Did you know that behind every major news uh, a paper or news company, there's a publisher, there's an editor somewhere who is making decisions about how that is fed to you? And, you know, you, a child becomes what they eat. If you give a child McDonald's three meals a day uh, growing up, he's going to become obese. And a lot of us are, are obese on, on information that's just not healthy. Now, watch this. I'm going to make it spiritual here. We're either following sources that are leading us to good or leading us to evil. And I believe for many of you in here tonight, it's probably a mixed bag of both. It's a mixed bag of both. And a lot of the sources that are leading us, we don't even know it. We don't even know it. Look back at verse number 11. It says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil. Did you know sometimes we're following ideas and ideologies and doctrines and teachings and political opinions and beliefs, parenting philosophies and marriage philosophies and um, philosophies on how to handle our parents and philosophies about life, philosophies about how to be an employee. We're following philosophies that are not Godly, they're secular. Notice letter A, some follow evil. Some follow evil. Look back at verse 11. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, 
That word evil there, there are all sorts of words in the Bible that describe wrongdoing. There's transgression. There's iniquity. There's sin. There's wickedness. There's evil. And while they all point to the same general idea, they each have their own specific meaning. What does evil mean? Evil there means wrong done with the end result of harming someone. Wrong done with the end result of harming someone. Now, automatically, our mind runs to the works. When I'm witnessing to an 8, 9, 10-year-old child trying to tell them how they can be saved, I'll ask them, I'll say, give me an example of a sin. Do you know what every child's first response is? Murder. They run to the worst. Uh, murder. Uh, yes, murder is a sin. Now, give me one that you've done. I hope at 9 years old, you've never killed anybody, all right? Murder. You know what murder is? It's evil. It's inflicting the worst. You know, our brains as adults work very similar. We jump the evil that we don't do. But you know that sometimes we commit evil without even realizing it. We do something that brings great hurt on someone else. And we're bringing that hurt upon them because we've become desensitized to the way other people feel. We're just looking for, out for our own cause. I've been guilty of this. I've ran over people's feelings and hurt them deeply. Because I didn't take two seconds to stop and think how they would feel about that. I think that's my phone. The preacher needs to put his phone on vibrate. Amen. Evil. The Bible says, follow not that which is evil. How can... We commit evil. Let me take you on a journey through the book of Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 37. The Bible lays out how evil is portrayed. Make no mistake, evil begins in the heart. Evil begins with our sin nature. Evil is an act of, of gross selfishness and pride and uh, the uh, attempt to elevate ourselves at the expense of all others. And it can turn into just straight up enjoying seeing someone else suffer at its worst. Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. We can follow evil with our tongue. We're talking about following evil. We can follow it with our tongue. Look at verse 37. But let your communication be yay, yay, nay, nay. That means don't be shifty on what you're saying. Be sure with your speech. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Uh, we, we, can, we can follow evil with our tongue. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6, verse 23. Matthew 6.23 should be just across the page there, maybe the next page over. We can follow evil with our eyes. The Bible says, but if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. We can follow evil with our tongue. We can follow evil with our eyes. Turn over to chapter 7 and verse number 11. We can follow evil with our motives, with our Motives. Look at verse 11 of Matthew 7. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Now, uh, I don't want to be accused of stretching this here. Why is it that people give good gifts? Can I tell you that we, if we're not careful, we're not careful. If our flesh gets involved, we'll do a good act, but we do it for selfish reasons. I'm going to pay this person a compliment. I, I'm going to butter this person up. I'm, 
I'm going to give this person a gift. I'm going to go out of my way. But we know that what we're hoping for is that they'll do it back for us in return. Our motives are wrong. We can follow evil with our motives. How about this one? Turn over to chapter 9, verse 4, Matthew 9, 4. We can follow evil with our mind and hearts. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts. In your hearts. You know, evil begins in our heart. And then it begins to, to uh, become known, become manifested through our eyes, or rather through our mouth and through our actions. We can follow evil with our tongue, with our eyes, with our motives, with our mind and mouth. How about this one? We can follow evil with our money. Turn to Matthew chapter 12 and verse 35. The Bible there says, A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Now, the treasure is not evil. But the treasure can be a way for us to follow evil. Quick, 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 quick. True or false? True or false? Talk, talk back to me here. Ready? Money is the root of all evil. True or false? False. The love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Here, God says, if you want to be a pleasant Christian like Demetrius, don't follow evil. I would really encourage you to stop and think about the news you get, uh, the friends you have, all of the major influences in your life, and figure out where those sources lead, where those things originate, and ask yourself, are those people good or evil? And if they're evil, then maybe we should cease to let them have any influence in our life. Some follow evil. Let her be noticed. Some follow good. Some follow good. Look back at verse number 11 of 3 John. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. That which is good. We begin with a basic understanding that no one is good. No one is good. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. None of us are righteous. None of us are good. Uh, all of us at our base. All of us uh, in our unsanctified selves. All of us, when we walk in the flesh, there is nothing good about us. We are evil in our nature. To become good, we must be hungry for righteousness. Mary said in Luke chapter 1, we were in Luke 1 this morning, a little bit further down in the passage from where we were this morning, verse 53, listen to what Mary said. She said, He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent away, uh, sent empty away. Sent empty away. The hungry he hath filled with good things. If you are so filled with 
evil. You're so rich with evil, there is no room for you to be hungry for God to give you good. But when we empty ourselves of our evil lifestyles and we uh, empty ourselves of the evil within our heart and we confess and forsake and confess and forsake and we become starved of morality, God gives that hunger for morality. He gives us good things. He gives us values. He gives us righteousness, but it requires a hungry heart. Jesus would stress this point in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, where he said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be filled. And so what we're getting at here is that if we're going to be a pleasant Christian, then we must identify our influences that are evil and cut them off and starve ourselves and become hungry for righteousness, become hungry for good, and then be filled with that good that comes from God. We are all bent with a slant toward evil. If we let our guard down, even for just one minute, one moment, we will veer into the ditch of evil. Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? What made Demetrius pleasant? He steered clear of evil. He steered clear of harming others through immoral acts and selfish acts and pursued righteousness. He was focused on being a good person, a good person. Number one, we see his focus. Number two, we see his fruit. His fruit. Look back at verse number 11 with me. Third John, verse number 11. The Bible says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. Look at the rest of the verse here. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. I believe that verse 11, uh, the, the second part, is saying that uh, Demetrius and Gaius are of God, and Diotrephes is of the devil. That's the conclusion I draw here. Now, Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Um, Actions speak louder than words. Maybe my favorite way I've ever heard this put, someone said it this way, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. How many of you found that to be true in life? People can talk all day, right? They can talk a good game. Usually people that talk a good game, their game is trash. <laughs> That's what I've found. I uh, worked a job at um, uh, Super Value in Aberdeen, Maryland when I was a college kid. It was a grocery warehouse. I was building pallets to go to produce sections at grocery stores. And uh, word got around that I liked to play basketball, and there was this guy. He'd, he'd come up on his forklift, and he'd hang on the back rack. He'd say, when I get you on the basketball court, I'm going to dunk all over you. And he just talked trash, nonstop talk trash. And, and so one day we got off of work early, and I said, I know where a court is. Let's go play ball. And uh, it didn't go well for him. He, in fact, he wasn't, he wasn't good at all. He was terrible. Talk is cheap. In fact, it looked like he'd never picked up a basketball in his life. I think my son, who doesn't play, could have probably beat him. Um, uh, but talk is cheap. A lot of people talk a good game. They talk about being righteous. They know how to carry their Bible under their arm, or they know how to sit sweetly in church and fill out the outline. They, uh, they, walk, uh, they walk around looking righteous. They have a pious attitude about them. But when push comes to shove, there's nothing really righteous in them. Their fruit just 
isn't there. Notice letter A, good fruit comes from God. Good fruit comes from God. I'm not really going to give you anything earth-breaking this evening, but some solid reminders. Look back at verse number 11. The Bible says, He that doeth good is of God. He that doeth good is property of God. He that doeth good is influenced by God. In and of ourselves, we cannot do good. Some people do good, but do it for the wrong reasons. Other people do good, but it's that, w- that which is right in their own sight. And they just happen to stumble upon doing good. And uh, listen, the Bible tells us in the book of Judges that every man did that which was right in their own eyes. If I were to take the body of work that one of these people did, uh, is, would any portion of it been in line with the Bible? Probably, but enough of it was out of line with Scripture that they ended up self-destructing as a country and landing in idolatry. Any good that any human does is because they are made in the image and likeness of God, and God is good. But naturally, because we're sinners, we're bent to turn away from our Maker and behave in a way that's inappropriate. Turn over to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be in verse 16 down through verse number 22 here. Matthew chapter 19. Because uh, beyond that, any good that we do can only be done because we are spending time with a God who is good. So you may do good by uh, the fact that God is your maker. And you're made in His image. And so some good uh, by residual effect happens. You may do good because some version of the moral code you were given in life happens to be in line with Scripture and the Bible. But beyond that, you cannot and will not produce fruit that is good unless you are spending time regularly with God. Look at Matthew 19, verse 18. The Bible says, He saith unto him, which Jesus said... Let me back up verse 16, I'm sorry. Um, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus saith unto him, He saith unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, we see here that only God is truly good. Can I just say this here? Don't you ever become so enamored with another human being that you think that they're incapable of making a mistake. Don't do that. Don't you ever put a pastor or deacon or church leader or some nationally known preacher up on a pedestal and say, Oh, man, he... He's just, let me tell you, he's got it figured out. I guarantee you that behind the curtain, there are struggles there. And I can tell you that I've gotten to know some pretty big-name preachers in my life. And I can tell you firsthand, there's struggles behind the curtains. They may look like they have it all together out in front of everyone, but as a man of the cloth, if you will, I can tell you right now, Pastor Lejeune doesn't always have it all together. He has good days and bad days. He has days where he wakes up grouchy and isn't real nice to his family. He has days where he rolls into work and maybe he hasn't read his Bible as much as he should have. Don't, don't you ever put someone up on a pedestal and think, oh, well, they're, they're just capable of, 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 they've got the Christian life figured out. All of us are struggling to get the Christian life figured out. Every last one of us. Here, uh, Jesus looks at this man and says, There is no one good but God. 
You're calling me good. You're calling me God. And the man wants to know, give me a good act I can do so that I can inherit, I can enter into eternal life. He wants to earn his way to heaven. When Jesus was pressed, he pointed to the moral laws. Look at verse 18. Jesus saith unto him, or rather, uh, uh, right, he saith unto him which, this is the, the rich man, the rich young ruler, saith unto him which, Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He points to the part of the moral law that involves his relationship with mankind. Verse 20, the young man saith unto him, all These things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? That's pretty bold to look Jesus in the face and say, I got it all figured out, Lord. I've never told a lie. I've always honored my parents in every uh, situation. I've uh, been faithful to my wife. I've never even looked on a woman with lust. And I've um, loved my neighbor as myself and... You know, I've never, uh, I've never done anything, things, Lord. I've, I've got it. I've never stolen anything. I've got it all figured out. This made, uh, this man made the pious claim he had never broken any of the moral laws. Wow, was he good then? No. He was in love with his money, and the love of money is the root of all evil. Look at verse twenty-one. Jesus saith unto him, If thou be perfect. You claim to be perfect, do you? If thou be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor. and Thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now notice Jesus isn't saying that if he gives away his money, that's going to get him to heaven. The act of coming and following Jesus is what's going to get him to heaven. But his money was keeping him from salvation. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great uh, possessions. How does a man become good when he is born a wretched sinner? He can only do so by constantly abiding in the presence of God. You know why my flesh wants to keep me, you and me, you and I from praying? I'm sure Brother Russo will cover this in great detail in his class at some point or another. I don't like to pray. I don't. My flesh doesn't. Because my flesh is at war with the Spirit of God. And when I pray, I starve my my evil flesh, and I enable the Spirit of God to fill me with righteousness. My flesh does not want me to be righteous. And here the Bible is telling us that Those that do good are of God. They spend time with God. Uh, Christian, I I don't want to beat a dead horse. I don't want to hammer something home too hard and too long. But I just don't know how, uh, how, how, how that is possible on this topic. Christian, do you walk with God? I'm not asking do you read your Bible and pray every day. I mean do you spend meaningful time in the presence of God? Is that fellowship with Him sweet? Is there that moment each morning where you mortify the flesh, you 
kill off the deeds of the flesh and say, Lord, I'm facing these temptations right here. Here's the list of temptations in my life. Take them away and fill me with your spirit and help me to do good today because I am following you. Give me the fruit of righteousness. Letter A, good comes from God. Letter B, or good fruit comes from God. Letter B, evil fruit comes from the devil. Evil fruit comes from the devil. Look back at Third John, verse 11. He that doeth good is of God. The rest of the verse says, But he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Can a saved person commit an act of evil? Yes. Does a saved person live in a state of evil with no guilt? No. The Holy Spirit is there to convict the saved uh, of their evil deeds. However, the saved man can resist and push against the conviction of God's Spirit. Take your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. I hope, hopefully you're holding your place there in Matthew. Matthew chapter 7. Evil came in this world through the devil and is manifested in the lives of humanity because Satan is at work in the background. Satan is at work in the background. And the devil wants nothing more than to get humanity to attack and hurt each other. Don't be surprised when people at work are conniving and and, and manipulative in order to step on you to get that promotion, to step on you to get that raise in their check, uh, uh, willing to throw you under the bus and harm you, and they don't ha- seem to have a moral code. They're of their father, the devil, and the devil is all about evil. In fact, that's all he is, uh, that's all he is about is evil. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 17. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree uh, uh, cannot... Uh, bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Your life is a tree. Which kind of fruit are you and I producing? Take your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 16. If we're walking according to the flesh, we're going to put out one set of works or fruit. If we're walking according to the Spirit of God, and then we're going to produce another set of fruits. And again, uh, let me uh, reemphasize this. I'm going to keep saying this and keep saying this and keep saying this uh, as the pastor until it begins to get down into our, our heads and further down into our hearts. The Christian life is not about self-improvement. It is about self-abandonment. When we learn to abandon every effort to make ourselves good, and we instead learn to yield to the Spirit of God and let Him birth fruits within us, boy, then we begin to see a a, a greatness with God. Look at verse number 16 of Galatians 5. The Bible says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust or fruits of the flesh. For the flesh uh, lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. There's that tension that lives in the heart of the Christian. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh, the evidences of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, Strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, the party lifestyle, and such like, of the which I tell you before, 
as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. What's that mean? That means if you're going to live this lifestyle and you're going to be identified by these evidences, hey, you probably never ever got saved because a saved person who's truly gotten saved is going to turn their back from these things and make some effort to be a godly Christian. Look at verse number 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. Notice the contrast here, a man or woman of God who is yielded to the Lord and is submissive to the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The Bible says about Demetrius here that Demetrius was a man who was of God. The fruit was there. He focused on God, and as a result of long-term focusing on God, he began to produce fruit for God. A lot of people claim to be a good Christian. They have no evidence in their life that shows it. And I don't believe we should walk around and be fruit inspectors. Uh, but I, do, will, I will say this. Let's all work hard to produce the right kind of fruit in our life. Number three, and lastly notice, his fullness. Speaking of Demetrius, his fullness. Now, verse 11 lays out the theory of how the Christian is to live. Third John, verse 11, lays out that theory. Verse 12 offers us an example of someone in the church who is a living, breathing example of a Christian who is focused on righteousness and producing the fruit as a result. Before I give you letter A, let me circle back around and, and, and add to something I just said. Christians are called to be a fruit inspector when it comes to their own life. Too many Christians are too busy inspecting everyone else's tree and not busy enough inspecting their own. Can I tell you, I have my work cut out for me. Trying to keep my fruit tree with the right fruits. Can I just share with you a personal weakness? I hate getting cut off in traffic. I hate it. You know, sometimes I lay on my horn. That's not patience and long-suffering. Now, I've never cussed at someone, but I've been tempted to. My wife will say to me sometimes, why are you yelling at them? You know they can't hear you, right? You know what's really interesting about that is if someone cuts me off in Walmart with their buggy, I'm nice to them. But when I am protected by my car, I'm not so nice to them. That long-suffering, that patience. And I step back and go, I'm not walking by the Spirit. There are those envyings and that malice that's coming out of my flesh. The flesh is in charge. Now, um, I know it could come across that I am fruit inspecting you when I stand up here and preach, but I want to be clear. All I'm trying to do when I preach is just preach the Bible and let God inspect your tree. As Christians, we do well to inspect our own tree and let God worry about everyone else's. Letter A, point number three, we said his fullness. Letter A, notice his relationships mattered. His relationships mattered. Speaking of Demetrius, look at verse 12. Demetrius hath good report of 
all men. You know what is the most impressive word up to this point in the verse? Is the word all. Everyone, when you brought up Demetrius' name, they said, yep, he's a good guy. Yep, Demetrius, I'll tell you what, that's a class act right there. Demetrius hath good report of all men and of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record. Who? The apostles. And ye, the church, those of you that go to church with him, know that our record is true. Demetrius, his relationships mattered. He was not burning down bridges with anybody. With anybody. You know, many Christians are so bent on truth that they're willing to burn down relationship bridges in order to be right. Romans chapter 14, verse 16 says this. It says, Let not then your good be evil spoken of. Well, pastor, they just have to get it. They have to understand it. They need to see that they're wrong. How about the mode of you loving them and let God show them that they're wrong? Demetrius was so deferential toward others, people saw him and said he is in love with doing right, but his disposition is one of kindness. There's a verse I'd like you, as a church, I'd like for us to memorize. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 7. I'd encourage all of you to work on memorizing this verse this week. This is a great, great verse. I came across it in a Bible college. I had read it, obviously, before then, but came across it in Bible college and uh, doing my devotions one day, and, and um, uh, the Lord really spoke to me through this verse and showed me some abrasive parts of my personality that I needed to work on, and I'm still working on, but uh, it made me aware of some of those things through this verse. Look at Proverbs 16 and verse 7. The Bible says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Can we work on memorizing that verse this week? When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, they don't cease being your enemies, but there is a respect that your enemies have toward you because your ways please the Lord. They may not like you, but deep down inside they respect you. They respect you because you live a life that's respectable. You live a life that pleases the Lord. Now, when I read this verse here, verse number 12, back in 3 John, my mind goes to Diotrephes. Did Diotrephes have a good report of Demetrius? Apparently so. Even though Diotrephes was a self-centered, narcissistic narcissistic, uh, jerk, even he had a good report of Demetrius. When I think of someone who had enemies but worked out a, a peaceful resolution with them, I think of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. The Bible says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. He made a decision, I will not eat the meat. But then the very next verse tells us that he had a good rapport with the prince of the eunuch. He didn't get in the face of the prince of the eunuch and say, I'm not going to eat that meat. I'll tell you where you can put that. Don't you know that's been offered up to idols and that's wicked? Oh, no, 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 no. Daniel worked to develop a relationship with the prince of the eunuchs. 
and then through that relationship convinced him, persuaded him to let him obey his God and do what was right. Notice here that for Daniel, his relationships mattered. Christian, are you so bent on truth and doing right that you cause friction and problems with other people in the way that you present that truth? Let me illustrate something to you here. Matthew, come up here for me. Hustle, hustle, hustle. This was an illustration I used with him about a different situation at home a few minutes ago, okay? All right. My goal here is to get Matthew to catch something I'm going to throw to him. All right? Now, I'm holding in my hand a key fob, and we're going to say this key fob represents truth. And this is the truth I have that Matthew doesn't have, and I want him to have it. You ready? You ready? Did he get it? Some of you, that's how you throw truth at people. Come back where you were. You know, this is a much more likely way to get him to catch it. If you lob it up, give someone a chance to come under it, they're more likely to catch it. Some of you, man, you have truth. But the way you deliver it is offensive. Demetrius had a good report, meaning not only did he have truth, he knew how to get other people to, you know what, I have it too. Relationships, his relationships mattered. Some of you in here have an abrasive relationship with somebody right now, and that's what you're doing. You're, hua, hua, you're just chucking it at them, and you're not helping things. Maybe we try a different approach. Notice letter B, his righteous maturity. His righteous maturity. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says, Demetrius hath report a good report of all men and of the truth itself. Yea, we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. Who is truth? The Lord Jesus Christ. And he had truth itself. You know what Demetrius did? He walked with God. He followed after truth. He submitted his life to truth, knowing that it was what was best for himself and his future. Demetrius was a man of integrity. He was a man of faithfulness. He was a model Christian. He had learned to balance truth and love. And he had become a mature Christian in the Lord. I finished the message. If you turn over to Proverbs chapter 3, I'm going to give you an illustration and then we'll look at one more passage. Some people have a really negative opinion about truth. They think that God wrote a book of rules to ruin our life. You know that uh, the the, um, realities of the moral code are just as um, uh, unbendable as the laws of gravity. Let's say that I took the same attitude toward gravity that some people take toward God's commandments. And let's say that uh, I went up into a a tall tower, and I stood out there on the ledge. I had the window open, maybe. I'm standing on the ledge of the window, and I think, you know what? I think that gravity is stupid. 
I just think gravity is a bad idea. And people who believe in gravity, I, or whatever you want to call it, I, you know, the idea that what goes up must come down, I just don't like it. I don't believe in it. And you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to defy it. And I jump out the window. You know what? Gravity's going to win. Some people look at the moral laws in the Bible, the fence that God has put around us, and they think, I don't need that. I can do it my way. And you know what a scorner is in, in Proverbs? A scorner is someone who thinks they can do whatever they want and avoid the consequences. And I promise you, if you jump out of the moral window, you're going to hit the moral ground. And I promise you it's going to hurt. I promise you it's going to hurt. Some of you are... Uh, some scorners are eternal optimists. You hear about the guy that fell off the skyscraper. Halfway down, he passed the window guy who was scrubbing the windows. And the window guy said to him, how's it going? He said, so far, so good. I promise the ground is coming. The ground is coming. Proverbs chapter 3. Let's finish the sermon here. Look at verse number 1. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Look back at verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. You know what some people are really good at? They're really good at showing mercy to themselves. Well, I, you know, I've messed up, but I need another chance. You know, God, I, I know that I have this sin struggle in my life, but uh, you're a gracious God, and yeah, yeah, you, you'll look past that one. Mercy for me. Truth on you. I can't believe that brother such and such or sister such and such. And I'm going to tell you right now that that is a very bad, bad, bad way to live. You know what's healthy is when I apply truth to me. No one ought to be harder on me than me. And when I see somebody struggling in their Christian life or their spirit, I show them mercy. And I give them all the room they need to work through things. That's what made Demetrius a pleasant Christian. He had a good report with all men. He was in love with truth. He gave people grace and space and time to get there. Boy, why do Baptist Church, we need a church filled with pleasant Christians. Happy on the inside because they're in love with Jesus and gracious toward others. Are you a Demetrius? Let's be Demetrius. Let's not be Diotrephes. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord, would you help us tonight to consider these truths that we've covered? To evaluate that which is influencing us. And Lord, to look at the fruits of our life. Help us, Lord, to pursue, pursue that fullness of rich relationships. And Lord, a bend on truth in our own hearts and life. Oh, Lord, guide us tonight. Lead us. Convict us. Lord, show us where we've become judgmental toward others and we lack judgment, a judgmental attitude toward ourselves. Lord, help us to be at peace, even with those who call themselves our enemies. 
Lord, teach us tact. Teach us grace. In Jesus' name we pray.